3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Pack It A podcast, your one-stop shop for everything in favor of the green and gold. My name is Mike Welland, and joining me, as always, Tyler Grizzagork. And before we get to all the big Packer news and our big topic of the day, Tyler, you have kind of a big weekend coming up. You're wrapping up
2: college. You're starting to move. I guess, how's everything going, and are you ready for the next step of your life? Ah. I don't know if I'll ever be ready, you know, I just kind of just kind of going through the motions right now. And it's all kind of happening so fast. Uh, you know, family's flying down this weekend. I'm sorry, next weekend uh, for the graduation. So there's a lot going on, especially like you mentioned, uh, moving around a little bit. So kind of just trying to keep my head down and get through it right now. But uh, it's all going by so quickly. So uh, I'm ready, though. That's
3: know old feeling. So everyone get online and give him a big congratulations. Wish him the best on Twitter. I know we could all really use something like that, and it's a good thing for a good guy to get get through college and to move on. But either way, as we turn our attention toward Packer football, big game against the Cardinals Sunday afternoon, starting 12 noon Central Standard Time from Lambeau Field. One of the worst teams in football against one of the biggest underachievers in football in 2018. Packers are favored by 14 points. Hopefully they can cover that. But it's going to help a lot with the biggest news as far as injuries go. Randall Cobb appears to be set to play. David Bakhtieri apparently is looking a lot more promising to play with his knee injuries. And Kevin King has been working with the team again as well. So if they can get all three of those guys back for a game like this, this could be the perfect game to... I don't want to say tune-up game, but a perfect game to get them going. To really help them kind of get back on the right track and maybe get a back-to-back win stretch or winning streak going. Because they still... Real, mathematically, are alive, but they need to win out, and that starts this week. And getting injury returns would go a long way toward that.
2: Yeah, and before I say what I'm gonna say regarding the draft and tanking, it makes no sense for this team to tank. Like wherever they finish, they're probably gonna finish somewhere in the 10 to 16 range. And when you start getting into that, you know, part of the draft, it's just it's just not worth it. You know, finish the season strong. And this is going to be a good opportunity to get a good head start on doing just that. You know, I want to see this team get healthy and put together a few good wins to end the year, you know, end the year on a positive note. And if they can go win all five games and somehow, somehow scrape their way into the playoffs, then so be it. But, um, you know, I, I definitely want this team to finish strong down the stretch. So this is a good opportunity to do that. And I'm pretty excited for Sunday considering that, uh, they're taking on the local Cardinals for me. So, um, you know, it's actually pretty funny living in Arizona and trying to talk to the Cardinals fans because they hate Packers. They hate the Packers at all. Like, So uh, it's it's going to be a good one.
3: Well, they still have nightmares about Jeff Janis. But I agree with you with, with your thoughts on tanking. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up just because I've never understood the value of any sport in tanking. Uh, as a fan, I can't, I would not be able to understand watching your team basically intentionally lose, it would take the joy out of it for me. It's just one of those things where it's where it's just something that it's – I think it's such a bad culture in your locker room when you talk about losing to try and get better for the future. It's, I think we're seeing that in basketball a little bit more. We saw it in baseball. I think if that starts seeping into the NFL, I think it's going to be very dangerous dealing with 63 different personalities in a locker room. And that goes into what we're ta- going to be talking about in a little bit about coaching. I think that kind of attitude can be very toxic and dangerous. So I think I, I agree with you. I think is a bad thing. Uh, Matt Straits is sort of very good article. And Packers talk about it, so I'll go and read that as well, guys. Uh, very good article about why the Packers should not be tanking. And so, but moving on uh, very quickly before we get to our main topic, Randall Cobb had some big comments as well about uh, Aaron Rodgers this week. About he thinks he's going to go and light it up. So, I guess what Tyler, I'll go to you. What are your thoughts on Randall Cobb? And is this confidence misguided?
2: You know, this is not the first time he says something like that. He's been a little bit more vocal in the media this year than in past years, from what I can remember. And Uh, it's not the first time he says something like that this year and it really hasn't come to fruition yet. So we'll see, Uh, you know, Rogers is rocking the stash or whatever, and he seems happy, (laughs) Uh, but I mean, these are all obviously photo ops and stuff. So from practice, but we'll see what the team can do. We're returning to Lambeau for the first time in a few weeks now. Um, Well, actually I, I take that back. They played Miami, but Returning to Lambeau could be good for this team, and we'll see if Rodgers can get on track.
3: No, I agree. I think it'll be interesting to see, and I think he's closer to Cobb than anybody else on the roster right now, so I think Randall has a good idea of what's going on. So we'll we'll see what happens Sunday. right. Then again, 12 noon start time. Packers-Cardinals from Lambeau Field. But as we turn our attention toward our main topic, I think everyone agrees that there's a pretty good chance, unless they go on a Super Bowl run, that this is going to be the end of the Mike McCarthy era. And even if they do go on a run, it may be the end of him anyway. I can see him retiring if the Packers were to somehow pull off the miracle and go the entire way. But with that being in mind, we, we thought about maybe trying to build, using current coaches or coaches who are currently being talked about to be head coaches next year, how do you would you build a perfect coach? And using seven criteria involving time management, game planning, making adjustments in the game, Using a creativity with innovations, roster management, media relations, and relationships with the assistant coaches and locker room temperament, we tried to make some sort of monstrosity of what would be the perfect coach that is currently coaching in the NFL today, or is seen as a potential coach for the NFL next year. And coming up, some consensus was a little difficult, but I do think we did we did came up with a good group of guys that would kind of combined things and it's a combination of new and old school guys and I think if you were to have the trade of every single one of these guys as a coach you your team would be basically unstoppable so Tyler I think we'll just jump right into it and we'll start with time management because that's a big critique of coach McCarthy is his time management especially late in the first half and so when coming up with that I thought back to the first half scenarios and that goes right to arguably the goat and that's Bill Belichick uh, he is known for having the double up method where he will defer in the first half, get the ball with a minute and a half left in the in the second quarter, go down and score, get the kickoff, go down and score again and have a 14 point swing in about two minutes of game time. So I guess what would you be thoughts of Belichick as your time management experts as far as building a coach?
2: Yeah. And with time management overall is game management. I don't think there's a better coach in the NFL. Than Bill Belichick when you're talking about this kind when you talk about just the fundamentals of coaching you know the things that the coach needs to get right and this is what Bill Belichick does and he does it better than any other coach in the league and it's really funny because this is something that I've seen as a joke in social media but. You talked about the 14 point swing in about a two minute span. That's something that people have been doing in Madden for years, and it's just kind of funny because it feels like it's such a simple concept, but for some reason, Bill Belichick is always able to make things like that happen. He's always to get his he's always able to get his team into positions to succeed, and I think that's ultimately what you're looking for in a game or time manager.
3: No, I agree. And even a better example would be look at the comeback they had a couple years ago in the Super Bowl against Atlanta. Coming down from the score they were, there was not that much time when it started happening. So he was able to manage it it so well, get his guys ready and get his substitutions ready to go in time. And I don't think anybody has a better idea of where the clock is than the guy known as Double B in the hoodie. But... That's just the first part. That's a one part of seven, and we didn't repeat. We made sure we didn't repeat coaches, so that's the best option for him. And then moving on to making a game plan. And here we went with the youngest coach in the NFL and the new wunderkind all over the league and everyone's uh, media darling. I still think there's still jury still out a little bit on Sean McVay, but I do respect what he's done as a game planner. As uh, teams can figure him out, we'll see. But when it comes to making that that plan for the especially for the first quarter of the game, he has very few peers as far as getting that first quarter set going.
2: Yeah, no, he McVeigh has been. I think he's been a little bit refreshing because it's just something he's he's kind of revitalized this whole concept of offense within the NFL. Obviously, the Patriots have been doing it for a while, but you know he he has brought the idea of putting a all-star offense on the field just to another level and you can see that in the way that he's providing his players with opportunities to make plays during the games um you know exploiting other other teams weaknesses just finding that niche that he needs to take advantage and put his team ultimately in a position to win the game by scoring just a ton of points
3: no i agree i think I think there's times where he's made some off adjustments as I think he struggled a little bit in the second half of the Packer game a few weeks ago, but in the first quarter, he is absolutely scary how quickly his team can move up and down the field. And it it, helped, granted it helps to have guys like Todd Gurley and Brandon cooks and Jared Goff, but a good coach has to be able to get those guys in the good position. And we've seen plenty of coaches do really well with the first 15 plays, but then fall off. McVeigh doesn't quite do that and he knows exactly how to get his team in the right spot for the rest of the game. I think that goes goes well to a very strong game plan. So right now we have a combination of Bill Belichick and Sean McVeigh making this abomination. Moving on to making adjustments in game. So following your game plan, if things aren't going quite your way, how can you change it, make some make some different types of moves. And this is the one where we had the most debate before we started recording this. Uh, My original choice was Mike Zimmer, but you convinced me to move on to Josh McDaniels, who is becoming a very popular choice for head coaching uh, gig again after he struggled in Denver when he was really, really young. And then whatever happened last year in Indy, that debacle. But that being said, he is phenomenal at adjusting his offense to what needs to be done in the second half. And we saw that in the Packer game a couple weeks ago. And McDaniel's is such an innovative mind as well. And he's such a very strong-minded personality that the when he's when he's an offensive coordinator, teams buy into the changes he makes. And just seeing how he does it with Tom Brady, who is old, who I think is older than him, kind of shows how good McDaniel's could be at that. If he ever gets the rest of the part of being a head coach down, he's a good one. But as far as ch- making changes to your plan in the game, I don't know if there's many better.
2: Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned the age because that's been one of the biggest topics of concern for Aaron Rodgers and the and the new incoming head coach, who is probably going to be a younger guy. I think McDaniel's is probably the only one out of all the younger guys being mentioned right now where Rodgers would not be, would not butt heads with him. He would have a amount of respect for Josh McDaniel's, and I think that that would be a really good fit in that department and it's obviously an important department to consider. Now, you mentioned how McDaniel's drew up some in-game adjustments against the Packers, and it's not even not even big plays. Like it's not even like, oh, he ran play action on this and, you know, ran the ball on this off the same look. No, it's the little things. Uh, you know, for instance, he took advantage of the Packers' aggressiveness in the secondary and all it took was a little two second look to the flat from Brady, and the corners jumped it. And the next thing you know, he's got Josh Gordon running deep. Uh, you know, and that's that's part of the secondary as well. But you know, that's that's part of the game of coaching, and that's why sometimes it can be so fun to watch because it can just be a battle, you know, back and forth like uh, like a ping pong match. And uh, McDaniel seems to win that battle more often than not.
3: No, I agree, and that's why that's why I might have thought it was going to be Mike Zimmer was because defensively he does the same thing. But McDaniel's is such and such a great adjust adjustment guy that when you see a play like that, you're not surprised. And that even goes again back to the Super Bowl a couple years ago, getting James White 13 catches or whatever, however many it was, and setting Super Bowl records with a running back. And I think if you can just if you can just pull that part of McDaniel's and put that into a separate coach you have the makings of the most dangerous offense the league has ever seen. And so then...
2: Well, one thing too, Mike Patton would actually fit in this category. One guy we didn't really talk about, he's been amazing uh, doing what he has done with the little that he has had. It's been amazing, and I... Not saying that this is going to happen, but I would have absolutely no problem if the Packers were say, "Hey, do you want to get a shot at being our head coach?" And then they go out and get some young hot shot offensive coordinator. I think that that would be perfect as well.
3: I think it would be too. I know. He, I know he say he doesn't doesn't want to coach, but I think this might be the one chance where he would think about it. But I do. I agree. I agree with you. He does very good, a good job in game, and he, especially in the, like you look at the third quarters for the Packers defenses, I have been usually pretty strong. And that shows the strengths of Mike Patton. But our our fourth category, kind of building off this, has been innovation and creativity. And it's easier to look on the offensive end, which is what we did. Uh, I'm trying to think of other defensive coaches who were good at that kind of innovation. But offensively, Matt Nagy has been a revelation as the Bears head coach this year. And it really hurts to say because the Bears still suck. But with what Nagy's done last year in Kansas City as the coordinator and now... With, and what he did with Alex Smith before then when he was just the quarterback's coach. And now what he's doing with Chicago with Trubisky and Cohen and Allen Robinson and, and Gabriel and all the weapons they have there, it's really, really strong. And he has had moments where he's faded down the stretch in, in late games, especially that week one game. But as the years gone on, he's gotten better and better. And the plays he designs are beautiful to watch if you look at the All-22.
2: They really are. And not only are they creative or innovational – they're simple. They're simple for Trubisky and ultimately that's gone a long way to his success this year and his emergence in his second year. And that's ultimately what is important of this of the head coach or whoever's calling plays. You have to make it simple for your team, your players to make their reads and just react quickly. The quicker these players can play, just the more it puts their athleticism on display, and I think that that's what we're seeing from uh, Matt Nagy. And like you said, some of his plays are just gorgeous. And it does suck because the Bears still suck. But it's you know I can I can uh, appreciate good football when I see it, and that's what's going on in Chicago. Sadly,
3: I agree. Yeah, got to give credit where credit is due. Hopefully, he gets hired by a better team in a few years. But right now. It's good to it's good to see it's, it's fun to watch Nagy's offenses go even though they are wearing the wrong uniforms uh, nextly up we kind of move into the locker room uh, where we have we list it as roster management but it's also I guess fostering uh, a culture and fostering uh, personalities and here we this is the only time we've found two different coaches uh, as much as it's gonna be controversial we put Mike McCarthy as one of them uh, just because you look at what he did coming in in two thousand uh, thirteen years ago, and balancing the FARF situation with Aaron Rodgers, and helping groom those guys to help them help them help each other during the ways and the way he balanced injuries in twenty ten, and with the bad defense in twenty eleven, the injuries in thirteen, fourteen, sixteen. As much as, as much as we rag on him now, he did, he has done a very good job with that locker room and his time. His time seems to have run out, and that starting to fade a little bit. But when he, when he is the new face in that locker room and when he is the guys that people are confident in, he is a spectacular management of talent and fostering a, fostering a culture and fostering a guy, group to be one team, no matter how many guys are out or in, and just going on from there. And the other one was Bruce Arians, where Arians is the same way, looking how he what he did when he took over for Chuck Pagano, following Chuck's uh, treatment for cancer in Indianapolis, then moving on to Arizona and dealing with personalities in the, in, the, in the Carson Palmer and dealing with all the veterans there and balancing them out. And I think those two guys who have been around the block quite a bit are really good at fostering that kind of locker room that you want, want to have as a coach.
2: Yeah, and it is important to give McCarthy credit where it's due because as much as we might be frustrated with this with this head coach, what he has given this organization is due to his management of the roster and the player's Other fans of other teams hate the Green Bay Packers. Why is that? Because they win a lot of games. They signify a winner. When you look at the Green Bay Packers, you think winner. And that's because of McCarthy. And Bruce Arians has that similar aura about him. He just kind of wins wherever he goes. And that's an important thing to have in a coach. And with that comes the culture and the attitude and the mentality all of that kind of bundled into one, and ultimately, you need your coach to manage these guys and know how to motivate them and know how to you know pick your battles. Those kinds of things are just as important as what, what play you're going to call on third and five. So, you know, that is why McCarthy has had this job for so long and why he is... So well regarded around the league, and why he will be respected and given opportunities moving forward.
3: No, I agree. I think, and there's a reason he's a guy who may be getting some consideration for the Hall of Fame in, in 20 years. So we never know. But I, I, I agree with you on all the points you made with those two guys. The locker room is more important than people think it really is. And having been in a locker room, having played, officiated, helped coach things like that, it's really it really does matter a ton. Also Soda's also working with the media uh, obviously both of us technically were media by doing this podcast I do I'm professionally a radio guy so I do media all the time interviews and press conferences that is a very big part of a coach because that sets the public image of your team and that does a very big thing as far as how the, how the how the world will, will kind of react to you and very few top that than Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh uh, We were down between him and John Harbaugh from the AFC North obviously not Hugh Jackson but with Tomlin, for all the shortcomings the fans have toward him as well in Pittsburgh, kind of similar to how people view McCarthy here in Green in Green Bay. Tomlin always puts on a good image of his team and and how he navigated the Le'Veon Bell situation this year in Pittsburgh and and getting James Conner going in there and dealing with the personalities of Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown and James Harrison for all those years and guys like that shows a very good personality and a good presence and he is a he is a diplomat behind a microphone.
2: Yeah, I, and you know, the other thing you're looking for in a head coach with, when they engage with the media is you watch somebody that has a little bit of spunk, a little bit of attitude, you know, but the right amount. And I think Mike Tomlin's a good mix of all of that. He's going to give the media what they want, but he's not going to give them too much. And you might even get a good chuckle here and then. So I think that Mike Tomlin's a good mix of all of those and is definitely the guy I would want working with my media if, if it were my team.
3: Absolutely. I also look back at the fact that uh, Tomlin, when he called out the officials, what was it, two months ago, about some of the calls that were being made, and you look at it really since he made those comments publicly, that the game has gone back to what we've expected a little bit more. There's been a little bit more of letting it play, a little bit few, fewer ticky-tack calls, especially when it comes to the quarterbacks, but seeing what he does you're right, with that, with that spunk, with the little extra zest that he brings, really helps a lot, and I think that's the Pittsburgh way too cuz Bill Cowher was the same way and the Rooney's did the same type of thing and I think having that part of Tomlin in your our build up of a coach I think goes a long way to help help this team publicly and our our last uh, our seventh and final spot was how is your coach going to work with his assistants how is he going to uh, have keep his temperament and how is he going to deal with all the moving parts inside of a locker room inside of the coaching rooms the meeting rooms the film everything like that and to me, this was a no-brainer. This was Andy Reid. Uh, he's got the best coaching tree in football right now. When you look at who's all head coaches with him, he wherever he's gone, whether it's Philadelphia, even back when he was a coach in Green Bay, and now in Kansas City, his players respect him, his players play for him, his assistants really like working with him, and he seems to be a guy who, who nobody has a bad thing to say about. And so I think Andy Reid... I think, for my money, is the second best coach in football right now behind only Belichick, and I think this goes a long way toward getting that that title.
2: Yeah, and the Andy Reid coaching tree has supplanted all other coaching trees as the one that you want to pluck coaches from. You know, Eric bieniemy I think that's how you say his name, I probably butchered it, but he's even garnering interest, and he's a first-year offensive coordinator. And so, yeah, and so is Nagy. So these guys are just they're They're jumping into positions they're that that coaching staff churn is amazing over there, uh, specifically in the offensive side of the ball but you when you look at what Reed has done just over the years in his multiple with his multiple teams uh, he again you know we talked about this with um you know Bruce Arians and Mike McCarthy and just fostering a winning environment Andy Reed is doing so with a different coach every other year. You know he's doing it with different partners every other year, and uh, it's just amazing to see what he's done. And he could have he could have fit a number of our categories as well as could have Bill Belichick and a couple of these guys. They could have you know spanned multiple categories, but I think this is what he really does best is just kind of managing who he's working with and how he works with them.
3: No, I agree, and, and he's done this now with two different teams, with Philadelphia and Kansas City. And just looking at his coaching tree, like he said, we have Matt Nagy, we have Doug Peterson. I think Vrabel might have been part of his uh, coaching staff for a little bit as well. Uh, but just kind of going on, building off that, looking at what he did in Philadelphia, and just when you, when it comes to being the the he- leader of the coaching staff, I think there's nobody better than Reed because they actually like working with him. I think they're scared of Belichick. But so when you look at this coach that we're building. This is a coach. We're going to have the time management skills of Bill Belichick, the game plan of Sean McVay, who will, who's going to adjust in game like Josh McDaniels with the plays of Matt Nagy. And then in the locker room, we're going to have the culture fostered by Mike McCarthy, and Bruce Arians talking to the media, like Mike Tomlin and working with your assistants like Andy Reid. I think if you combine those eight coaches in those seven categories, and if you have the right players, that will be the first ever 19 and no team. <laughs>
2: uh, you know, I think I, I I think you should give this coach about 20 million dollars a year cuz they're going to win you every single game regardless of who you have on the team. And you won't need the money to pay players because these guys will just be scheming guys open, motivating guys that are, you know, low end draft picks to play like first round draft picks. It's this is the best coach of all time. <laughs>
3: I agree. This is – well, no, this is number two. It's still behind Vince Lombardi. Oh,
2: that's, fair enough.
3: That's never going to change. <laughs> but either way, folks, what do you guys think? Let us know. Uh, let us know on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Mike Wentland, Tyler at Tyler underscore Grez, right? Absolutely. So as we start to wind things down, Tyler, what are you writing about? Where, are people, where can people find you?
2: Uh, So actually the website I was writing for, NFL Analysis Network, has joined – forces with another website called clutch points uh app is what it's called it's a website but they also have an app obviously um so the nfl analysis network is now heading up their nfl section and writing the analysis content for them so that's where you can find me uh and all of my writings moving forward
3: all right you can find me on packers talk i have an article coming out on set uh uh, this morning it'll be out it'll be it's gonna be a thank you letter to my mccarthy so just kind of getting that out of the way in case things do ch- change and he is done after this year. He deserves some credit for the work he's done over the past, over over a decade, almost decade and a half now. Also find myself on Dairyland Express, a fan-sided affiliate. And also you can always listen to me on the Packaday podcast here and on now Dairyland Talk. I'll be talking about the Milwaukee Brewers. So again, uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow for your, our game preview, Packers and Cardinals. Again, 12 at noon on a Sunday Central Time from Lambeau Field. Looks to be everyone back healthy, including Bakhtiari Cobb and potentially Kevin King as well. Packers 14-point favorites. And so for Tyler Grizzagorek, this is Mike Wendland signing off. We'll talk to you guys again in just a couple of weeks for one more time in 2018. And don't forget, we'll be in you guys' podcast all in 2019 as well. So until then, as always, go Pack, go, and get loud Lambo.
4: Jones continues in the backfield behind Rodgers. Valdes gambling to the right side, Devontae to the left, EQ on the wing left side, Rogers under center on second and seven of the Vikings, 15, ball to the right hand, Rogers takes back to throw, swings left side, got Adams, makes the turn to the pylon, and he's forced out of bounds, he's in play for the touchdown! Second and two, six-yard line of Minnesota, tied at seven apiece. Graham tight end right side of the line, three receivers bunch on the left, Rogers under center. It's motion to the right. Here's the pitch. Jones around the left hand. He's got Bacchiari blocking in front. Jones makes the turn of the pull-on to the end zone. The touchdown slot left with three receivers left, one to the right. Rogers shotgun weighs to his right. Rogers takes the snap, looks, wings it over the middle. Get Jimmy Brown between the hash marks, cross the 35, out to the 36 yard line of Green Bay. Out of the shotgun, three receivers left. Snap to Rogers looking downfield, steps up. He throws deep down the right side. He's got Devontae down the sidelines, cross the 30, into the Minnesota 25 yard line.